It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Third take. Absolutely. And this is how I start all my shows. It's just two friends talking about the beautiful game, the beautiful game that is association football. And tonight on a chapter of my life, I'm joined with my friend, or by my friend, Roy Cavana, MBE, none other than. Yeah, very, very good. I'm glad to be back. And uh, it's always en- enjoyable. You, you have some great guests on and uh, I-, I love listening to them and uh, I'm proud to be alongside some of them. I was talking to one of my friends today who was uh, born in Manchester and is a lover of Manchester United. And I said, I'm talking tonight to an officiado of <laughs> Manchester United. You're on an encyclopedia of Manchester United. There is nothing that you don't know about Manchester United. You have actually forgot more than I will ever know about your fantastic football club. And we're going to be touching upon three of your books today. Harold Hardman, who I must admit I had never heard of until I received this wonderful book uh, from you. From Meredith to Best, A Man of Football. Roy Cavana, MBE, and Carl Abbott. So we we must talk about Carl because Carl has been instrumental in books that that you've written, and I know yeah. that Carl's instrumental in the latest book that you've written on at Manchester United of the seventies, and then the other one with a lovely uh, uh, cover of uh, of the babes of the uh, the buses with docks seventy. I'm assuming them are the colours of. The Manchester buses that take you down to the docks. No, no, those were the. And I, I'm very proud of it because I'm a I'm a Salford man, and uh, right. you know, and those were the green Salford buses, uh, and the Manchester buses were red. But those were the green Salford buses that took you down to Salford Docks, which is now Media City, which is this side of um, the Trafford Road Swing Bridge. Or it was a swing bridge, uh, and then the other side of that, where United's ground is, uh, is Manchester. You have to excuse my ignorance, because being a Brummie and knowing ah. quite a lot about Birmingham, I don't know much about Manchester. Is Salford in Manchester, or is Salford not a part of Manchester? How do Mancunians look at Salford? Because it is a city in its own right, isn't it? Yeah, Salford is a city in its own right, and because um, I was born there 74 years ago now, a long, long time, um, and, and this rivalry, because, you know, we're a city in Manchester, is a city. With the um, the changes in border regulations, uh, Salford itself comes under a greater Manchester accommodation like, like Birmingham, I assume, or the West Midlands, if you if you, you were me, which checks in Greater Manchester will check in ten different places like Bolton, Oldham, Rochdale, um, and and Salford under the Greater Manchester banner. But as far as 
uh, I'm concerned, and most Salfordians, Salford is its own city. Media City is in Salford, not Manchester. Um, where you know you got BBC and everything, but that is on the land or the water that were Salford uh, docks. Now, Salford, Manchester United is the closer team to Salford than Manchester City, isn't it? I'm trying to get my yeah. ge- geography yeah. of Manchester oh, in, yeah. in in the correct yeah. order. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, I mean Manchester United ground literally was just over the over the bridge. Yeah. In fact, there, there was a they've got a nice modern well not modern bridge a much a much better bridge now because of the sheer volume of traffic. But in the fifties, it used to be. Um, I don't know, you you you've seen it in Birmingham, but it was it literally was a road swing bridge. So the cars and bear in mind, there weren't as many was in the early fifties, mid fifties, would go over the bridge. But if a boat was coming up the canal. The bridge would get closed at both ends and would actually turn, and the bridge turned and the, the the boats would go through, carrying on their merry way up the canal. And then the bridge would turn back, gates would open, and people could walk over, or or the cars could drive over. Um, How big was that canal? Because um, Birmingham is built, we've got more miles of canals <coughs> than Venice. But you wouldn't yeah. know that in in Birmingham. We've got a river, the River Ray, that goes there down Derry End, Digbeth yeah. in Birmingham. But our city isn't built on a on a river. We have no docks. We're we're landlocked in Birmingham. So yeah. for us Brummies, yeah. it's very difficult <laughs> to understand the concept of of swing bridges going over rivers and canals. I, I, well, of course, that, the, the river that goes under is the Manchester Ship Canal. Yeah. Um, and that, of course, would, would have it, the dock entrance, but it would then go into tribute, tributes along the, along the water. But that, that canal would then go out um, to the oceans eventually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I got stuck on, on the bridge. I can remember being stuck on the bridge once, going to a game against Leeds, um, 1957. It's only about 10. And and we was actually walking to the game, obviously because I only lived ten minutes walk away. And we got onto the bridge, and of course you did, there was no car. I mean, the bridge was covered with with people just walking to the game. Yeah. And the siren went that there was a, there was a a boat coming up the canal, and you, you could see the gate shutting at the far end where you were going to go through, and the gates were then shutting behind you. And, and it was eerie because but there was a lot of people around you and. And the bridge literally just turned slowly. Can you imagine from right to your left? And then the, the, the boat went through, and then another siren went, slowly came back, gates were open, walked over and went to Old Trafford. <laughs> I mean, it's an eerie experience. It certainly is. And does the Manchester Grand Union Canal, does that go into the River Mersey? Because there is a canal yes, there that does go to the River Mersey. Yes, yes it does. Because the yes. closest football ground too. Um, the River Mersey is Stockport County, Edgley Park, isn't it? Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the the, the canal where uh, we're talking about that used to be in Salford would go out towards uh, Warrington Way and then on towards uh, Merseyside and now into the uh, into the uh, into the sea. Yeah, All right, great, great, great times. And uh, you know, when when a, an older person like me looks back on it. Um, I, you know, you have to say now that the media city is an, an amazing, 
an amazing concept, um, you know, with BBC and the theatre, the Lowry Theatre and the shops and the ITV and uh, oh, it's just it's just amazing, just amazing. And back then, when you got stuck on that bridge, you couldn't visualise Media City being there. Manchester has changed an awful lot. But in Harold Hardman's day, it was so, so different. A professional footballer that um, started applying his trade at the turn of the century, and we're not talking about this one, we're talking about the one before, in the 1900s. Uh, a former pro player at Everton, and also won an Olympic gold as well. So you tell yeah. me a, a little bit more about Harold. How did you come about writing this book with Carl? Was it Carl nudging you or was you nudging Carl? And and a little bit about Carl Abbott and and how you write your books. You're a bit like the, the Manchester equivalent of uh, Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, or more common wise. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll come on to the concept of the Harold Arman book first. Uh, well, it was something I was always interested in because I knew, I didn't, when I said I knew him, I didn't meet him, um, but I, I knew of him because obviously we, we loved for United and he was their chairman. Yeah. Um, and in my opinion, um, United have had three great chairmen. Um, they started off with... Um, with, with Davis, John Davis, who actually created the, the name Manchester United when he bought Newton Heath um, and in 1902. A bit like Small, was it Smalley for Birmingham? It was um, Smalley for Lions, which turned into Birmingham City, after, well, yeah. Birmingham, then Birmingham City after the Second World War. Yeah. So 1878 was um, Newton Heath and with the railways and everything. Um, but then in 1902, they were in financial trouble. John Davis put his money in and thought, well, I'm going to change the title. And, he, and the title he, he settled on in the end was Manchester United Football Club. Um, so since 1902. And Davis was chairman until about 1926, something like that. And then again, the club uh, went into financial troubles uh, in the mid-20s. Uh, and a, a man called James Gibson rescued them in the early 30s. And I mean rescued them one Christmas. He put two thousand pound into the into the bank to save them literally for going bust because he didn't have enough money to pay the the players' wages at Christmas and uh, and Gibson then stabilised them again. Uh, Hardman had been on the board under Davis and he was on the board under Gibson. Although Gibson did something that most of us would have done, he, I wouldn't say sacked, but he moved all the people on the board when he took over to one side because he wanted to have a, a, a fair shot because, you you know, he wanted the people he knew and trusted. But within within a year, he realised that Harold Hardman had so much gravitas and, um, you know, by then Harold was um, uh, very involved with the Central League. Um, he was also um, involved with the Lancashire FA. So he had this gravitas. And, of course, he did, had, had this amazing football career. And and he was a qualified solicitor now with a practice in Manchester. So he soon brought Harold back. So Harold, really, from 1912 to 1965, was virtually on the board all, all along. And he became vice chairman. And when Gibson sadly died uh, in 1951, Harold took over as chair. Um, but going back to the to the beginning, I thought it's a really good story. And he, I think United have had three great chairmen, and those are the three. And I was thinking of writing about all three, and a brilliant man who was secretary called Walter 
Kritmar, who sadly died in uh, the Munich air crash. And Kritmar had been at United since about 1921. And, and a couple of times in the 30s, had actually even stepped in as, um, as a sort of a temporary manager when they got rid of managers and everything. Uh, and, you know, he ran, he, he ran the club off the pitch effectively. Um, so I, I was bruising about what, whatever to do. And then I thought, no, Hardman himself had this, you know, when, when you just jot down some of the things you, you've just mentioned there, FA Cup winner, Olympic goal winner, Manchester United chairman. And the, the subtitle to the book, of course, says From Meredith to Best. Yes. Here's a man who played alongside Billy Meredith because he actually joined United Arrow in 1908 because he'd moved then to Manchester. And Billy Meredith was the number seven. And he played against him when Meredith had played for Manchester City. Uh, and then when he sadly passed away, Harold, at the age of 83 in 1965, United had just won the league title and Georgie Best was the, was the number seven in the in the team so you know it, it expands an amazing 65 years of football history really and that number seven is a really iconic shirt isn't it at um at manchester united no. very much so going back to um to billy Mayer, uh there was a guy called joe spence in the 20s uh jimmy delaney a very very good scottish footballer uh, international. He was the uh, number seven when they won the cup in '48. A brilliant um, number seven, the United sign from Birmingham, Johnny Berry. What a player he was! Oh dear, little outside right, but he was a good, good winger. Won two titles with United, um, and then of course the best uh, debut, which was against West Bromwich Albion in '63. I, I remember going to the game, and he, he isn't actually on the original programme, um, because Ian Moyer dropped out. So if you look at the team sheet on the original programme, it's got Moyer at seven, and Best was a, a team change. Um, uh, Best, in, of course, and he played at seven in the European Cup final, but Best actually did play quite a lot of games at number 11 as well. Um, but uh, Harold Hardman was, was a number seven at United. Um, I mean, when he was born, interestingly, he was actually born in Newton Heath, which was the, where the football club was. And there was so much grime and smog around in Manchester, as it was in, in, in every city, I assume, uh, in the late 1800s. Um, and he, all his life, he looked a very frail man, small, frail. Um, and his family... His father was a solicitor. His family decided to move to the seaside to get him some get some fresh air and help with his, uh, you know, his frailty because otherwise he could have had serious health issues. And they went to live uh, between Blackpool and live in St Anne's. Uh, his father was a solicitor. And Harold uh, made his mind up. He wanted to be a solicitor, but he also wanted to be a footballer. And of course, he, he became good enough to play for Blackpool. Um, actually playing in the first game Blackpool played at Bloomfield Road, which was in 1900. And he played three years. All his life, by the way, he was a strict amateur. And to younger people today, um, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine. Um, and, and sometimes, Paul, when you, you know, you stand back yourself and you think, what was bloody travel like in, you know, in the, in the, in the 1910 and places like that? And, and 
you know, football team going from even going saying from Birmingham to Newcastle or Manchester to live uh, to London to play a game. You know what, what they're doing on the train, and it's not like travelling first class like they would today or fly. I mean, you, you have teams nowadays. Teams will fly from Manchester to Leicester. Fly from Manchester to Leicester and Leicester likewise. Well, I mean, come on. And, and, and you know, you think the and the, the size, um, the boots, and the, and the, the state of the football pitches, um, the ball. You know, the casey. I mean, it's incredible, really. When you, if you take the time to think about football in those years, isn't it? And football. It certainly changed beyond recognition. But when we're talking about change. You know, it wasn't that long ago when I was a, a kid. And uh, my first FA Cup final in colour was the 1972. Yeah. And I had to go around to my aunts and uncles because we didn't have a colour TV. Now, right. you know, my kids and my grandkids would look at that and you go, are you being serious? No, you know, in <laughs> modern times, you yeah. know, things change so rapidly. You get these new phones, you get these new... You know, the silicon yeah. chip has changed the world dramatically. Yeah. But back then, in 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 Harold's day, and even back then when you were a kid and when I was a kid, it was a world that's very, very different to what it is now. So you can only imagine what travel was like back in those days. In fact, I think in 58, when Wales went to uh, Brazil, I believe they travelled by boat. You know, it was like, it was a different world, a totally different world. And I think it's very yeah. difficult to get our, our minds around how difficult and how much it has changed. Yeah, but I think that comes to light early on in Harold's career when he, he, he was he was such a good player that Everton, you know, came sniffing around because being an amateur, um, you know, they came to an arrangement with Blackpool, but Harold was was playing number seven and, and, and wasn't getting paid. But you think he was living in um, in the Blackpool area and he was playing his football for Everton on Merseyside. Yeah. And, you know, that's a fair journey. And then he, and he's working and studying uh, to be an, an, um, a solicitor. And what I found interesting was he actually um, immediately was became one of the best outside rights in in the game. That's number seven to anyone who doesn't Absolutely. use the word. Out. <laughs> uh, but it, um, but he played in two consecutive FA Cup finals. And when you read the story of those games, the first one was 1906, Everton and uh, Newcastle at the Crystal Palace. Yes. Um, big, um, you know, big uh, grounds out at the outskirts of London that held just about 75,000, 80,000. And um, the, the final against Newcastle, um, Everton won the game 1-0. And the Everton and Newcastle team, the Saturday night after the game, went into the West End and went to the theatre together. And they stayed overnight uh, in London. And the Everton team went by bus to Brighton for the day yeah. and, and travelled back to Liverpool on the Monday. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 in, it's incredible. The year after they played, the this is again younger people like you mentioned there with Small East Gate with Birmingham. They played what you and I would call Sheffield Wednesday, but they were called the Wednesday. Wednesday club, yeah. Mm. I don't think they became Sheffield Wednesday till the mid twenties or something like that. Um, but they were certainly called the Wednesday there, and and Wednesday won that final one nil. 
But doing the research on it, on the way to that final, um, in the semi-final, um, I, I can't. I think can't remember. I think they played. They either played Villa at Stoke or they played Stoke at Villa. I'm sorry, I just, offhand, yeah. I just can't remember. Yeah. In the semi-final, but the semi-final was played on the Saturday, on, and it was a draw. On the Monday, Harold made his England debut against Wales at, at Liverpool, and uh, Billy Meredith was in the Wales side. On the Wednesday was the replay of the semi-final. So, you know, they're playing semi-final Saturday, England Monday, semi-final on Wednesday. And again, we've talked about travel and, uh, you know, the pitches and the boots and the balls, etc. You know, it's it's mind-boggling to to think of it. And at a high level we're talking here. You know, we're not talking like three lads in the park having a kick. We're talking here of the of the creme de la creme really in the English game yeah we're talking about elite, elite football you're talking about yeah. top level football in this country but even yeah. as late as 1971 when Chelsea drew uh, in in Athens against Real Madrid they didn't know what what to do it was a draw eh? well, when we're going to play so they played yeah. the they played the, the game on the Wednesday had the Thursday off and then they played the, uh, the replay on the Friday I mean, wow. a lot of the Chelsea players, Dave Sexton said, look, just do what you usually do on the, on a Thursday. So Osgood, you Charlie know. Cook and Tommy Baldwin, they all went for a drink. You know, it's like, yeah. kids of today don't, I don't <laughs> think they can really understand what our footballers of yesteryear did. And you know yeah. what? They were bloody brilliant as well. Yeah. Did, did Alan Hudson play in that, in that final? Or he played in, in both, yeah. He, um, yeah, yeah. Did yeah, he was a good player. I mean, I've just I've just got his book, Huddy. Uh, I've just I've not started it yet, but I've just uh, I've just got his book. But I mean, Osgood was. Um, I know we're digressing, but I I saw Osgood, and before he broke his leg, yes. um, yeah. he, 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 well, he was a good player after he broke his leg. But before he broke his leg, I'll tell you, nineteen, he was a magnificent centre forward. Oh, um, you know, really good and a good side Chelsea then. Oh, absolutely. The stories that Alan, I'm literally on, on that day, Udi had, in the first game, he got a bit of a, a dead leg and he was walking off and went to, went to look at a flea market and he yeah. got a taxi back and as there was going around, he seen the Athens Hilton and he said to the taxi driver, just drop off here, I'll have a look at the uh, at the Hilton. And as he walked through and he went towards the swimming pool, he said, Paul, I've never seen so much alcohol on the table there was three Chelsea players and um, and Johnny Fennell one of their mates and and yeah. Udi went over to us he says Oz you do realise that we didn't win last night we're playing <laughs> them tomorrow you know and and, and I said Ud young good because that's what they used to call him Ud young good he said son you go home and get an early night because you're going to do all my running tomorrow and I'm going to score and, <laughs> and Osgood always done that the stories yeah. that Udi tells of us are phenomenal. Yeah. But, you know, again, yeah. that's what football was like back in those days. The kids yeah. today don't understand what football was like in our day. I, I, I had the pleasure of, uh, of hosting uh, Os, Osgood at uh, sports dinners. Um, you know, and, yeah, he, he had some, he had some incre- cre- incredible stories. And uh, I, think, I think one of them... Was uh, I, I'm going to get my facts because I'm just thinking off the top of my head now. 
it was one where he scored um, a goal, which was uh, uh, say his hundredth goal or something. It was a, it was a big goal for Chelsea, uh, and all the crowd and he thought they were they were applauding him. But evidently, uh, Raquel Welsh was at the, at the match, and, and and the rest of his team didn't bother coming to him uh, as the whistle had just gone. They all went r- running off because Raquel Welsh was going to come and visit him in the dressing room, and there's there's Osgood like. Thinking, bloody, I've just scored this winning goal and got me under the goal, and, uh, <laughs> and and I'm not the centre of attraction. <laughs> so it, 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 it was interesting to be with. I can tell you that. Hoodie, Hoodie always reminded us that he did fail with Raquel. <laughs> you know, yeah. and he always ribs him. And then when Reeve didn't pick us in the eighty, when he yeah. um, had that. And that was in Manchester, wasn't he? he had that gathering yeah. of of England's uh, finest eighty players, and Udi yeah. always used to introduce us, uh, always used to introduce us as the eighty first best player in England. I mean, them two boys have got some stories, and they were great mates. And, uh, yeah. and you're absolutely right, Osgood was one of the greatest central strikers that yeah. we've ever seen. Staying with London um, by 1908, uh, the Olympic Games. Um, they should have been played, um, they should have been held rather in Rome, but Mount Vesuvius uh, had erupted or was erupted. And the games, the 1908 games were switched to, to London. And um, the football wasn't a big competition, um, but it was, and it was played in late October. Um, and, and Harold played in the England team and, 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 they, and they won the gold medal. So by 1908, 1908, he'd also qualified as a solicitor and he, he actually opened his own practice in Manchester. So, and he got married, uh, I think, 1909, So he actually moved to Manchester by then. And that's when he, he you know, he, he played a couple of games, three or four games for United. Um, and by 1912, he was invited to join the board of United. And as I said, right through to 1965, he, he was he was on the board uh, except for about twelve fourteen months, um, but but the times in the twenties and thirties, I mean United were the Oyo side, they, you know they dropped between um, they must have dropped down about three times. They came straight back, um, but there was one game that uh, one of nineteen thirty three thirty four something like that. They actually had a game against Millwall at the bottom of the second division. Mm-hmm. And the loot and the game was at Millwall, and the team that lost got relegated to the third division. Yeah. And United won at Millwall two 0 so stayed up. Um, but money was tight. But you know, Harold's influence then came to the fore, and Gibson, of course, made him vice chairman. And uh, Harold was there when they signed uh, Matt Busby in '45, and then the, this youth. Um, uh, revolution was coming with the you know the the Busby babes and and uh, Busby had created a very very good side and an older side of course because the likes of Johnny Carey, Jack Rowley, Stan Pearson, Jimmy Delaney they'd had six years took out of the, of the life with the wall six seven years and by forty eight uh, you know it was a very mature very good side um, and um, a week before the final. Gibson, who'd done so much as a chairman for Manchester United, suffered a stroke. Mm-hmm. And, and Harold Ardman actually represented United as their chairman. 
in the wrong, it's in the wrong box in the 1948 Cup final. Uh, and, and Gibson never really got over this illness and sadly um, died in September 51 when Johnny Berry joined United, by the way. And um, Harold became the chairman. And those next, you know, the next 14 years, you could have wrote a book just about them 14 years because if you think in them 14 years, and I'm sure we'll discuss some of them, but they won the title in 52. The Busby Bears won the title in 56, 57. The Munich air crash came in 58. The club was desolate, really, and Harold was the chairman, you know, so he was the lead. He's on the front of that famous programme against Sheffield Wednesday, the first game after Munich, where it just says United will go on, and it's a message signed by Harold Hardman, the chairman. Uh, and then the likes of Law came, 63, 62, 63. They won the FA Cup, 63. Harold was back in the, in the Royal Box. Uh, but his health was, was declining by then. Um, but he was still officially chair. And they won the league uh, in April 65. And, and Harold sadly passed away uh, in, in June 65. But those 14 years threw up a series of events that he could nearly write a book about each of those events. I mean, um, the one that I think is really, really historic is the fact that we go back to Chelsea. Chelsea won the league in 55 yeah. um, and should have gone into the very first European Cup, which was going to be the 55-56 season. And Alan Ardake at the Football League just, no, you're not going in. We don't need to be playing against the foreigners. Uh, we're England. We're, um, you know, we're, we're, we're the cradle of football. And, and Chelsea acceded to that. They, they didn't enter. But Busby had, had seen what Hungary had done to England yeah. twice. A lot of people, well, I think everyone who knows a bit about football knew that England got beat 6-3 for the, at home to, to Hungary. They conveniently forget that they went to Hungary the following May. Oh, absolutely. And got beat 7-1. Yeah. Gil Merritt played in both goals, games, yeah. I think. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And got beat 7-1 in Budapest. Um, and Busby thought that his young players needed to be exposed to this rising, um, you know, the, the, the different football that the Continentals were playing. Um, so, I, I mean, the, the story, of course, Hardacre then said to United, he won the 56 title. Well, you know, Chelsea couldn't play last year, you know, and Busby was adamant they were going to play. And this is where Hardman's um, solicitor and law came in and the three of the two of them rather Busby and Hardman had a really good ally in Sir Stanley Rouse because Stanley Rouse was a football association and Stanley Rouse had asked Matt Busby to manage the Great Britain Olympic team of 1948 Uh, and and they were good they were good friends and Hardman and Sir Stanley Rouse were very good friends and Stanley Rouse came up and said to Ardacre, well, the Football League jurisdiction is, because in those days there was not midweek football. There wasn't Christmas and Easter, but you didn't get midweek games, really, in the in the 50s. You played Saturday, Saturday. Yeah. You never had no full dollars. No, no, absolutely. Sorry, absolutely. And 
you get the odd replay in games like that. They'd be yeah. played Wednesday. But there was no real midweek football. And he told Ardacre that the Football League's authority only counted to the games under their jurisdiction. And as the European games were going to be played midweek, that didn't really fall under the Football League's jurisdiction unless, and this is vital when you get to 1958, unless it affected United playing a fixture on the Saturday. Yeah. Um, so United entered the... Um, 1956-67 European Cup um, and you know obviously they, they did very well they got to the, the semi-final uh, and then then he came to um, he came to the 57-8 fight, uh, season and and then and then Munich came and, and imagine him being being the chairman of a club whose Duncan died a couple of weeks after the crash, of course, and but seven got killed on the day. Duncan died a couple of weeks after. So you lose eight players. Two others, including Johnny Berry, would never play again. Yeah. You've lost ten players. Five others are in hospital. Um, that's 15 players. Of the 22 who will have played in the first and second team the Saturday before. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't leave much... Um, much focus on, on, on fulfilling fixtures, does it? When you, you know, you think about it. Uh, it's all right saying you've got Johnny Giles and uh, Shay Brennan and um, Nobby, Nobby, uh, Nobby Styles, the likes of those, Alec Dawson, Mark Pearson, really good footballers uh, who, who would push forward. But all of them footballers would push much further forward than their, their age warranted as well, are you with me? Yeah. Um, so fancy being the chairman of a club like that no money. Players weren't insured, don't forget, because why would you insure someone, you know, who's going on an airplane? They weren't insured. And United were really in, in the mire again, financially, which is where Harold's remembrance of what it was like under before Gibson had took over 25 years earlier, you know, and his steadiness would come in handy. It's quite incredible, really, how United have, you know, again, for the modern football fan, you know, we hate United, they've got all the money and, and they're the biggest club. Yeah. But, but but if you know your history, Manchester United have earned the right to be where they are. They've had years of struggle. They've had the yeah. Munich air disaster. They've had a chairman that led them through those choppy waters. You know, Busby yeah. was a, a former Manchester City captain and Liverpool <laughs> player. And it was a toss of a coin whether Busby was going to stay on at Liverpool or join yeah. Manchester United. You know, yeah. United have done the hard miles. They've done that hard slug. So, you know, for anybody really that understands football, United are where they are because they've had fantastic management. They've they've developed their football club over the years. And what you see today is what you should see. They are a fantastic football club. And you know what? Every other football club in this country had the same opportunities Manchester United. It's just that Manchester yeah. United did it and the others didn't. Yeah, I mean Chelsea had the, the opportunity to go into Europe for the first club yeah, in England. Yeah, absolutely. Just imagine, just say United had, had acceded to that as well. Yeah. I mean, when when would an English club? Because uh, Wolves, I think, was, would be the next one. But when would an English mm -hmm. club have 
have gone into Europe. Do you understand? And, uh, but then it was uh, the arrogance of the English, wasn't it? Because we didn't enter any of the FIFA World Cups because no. it was like, we are the world's greatest nation. We don't need yeah. to enter a competition. Do you know what? We actually might fail and we might be proved not to be number one. So rather than do that, we decided not to enter. And it was only yeah. until, as I say, the, the, the 50s that England decided to join FIFA and play in the World Cup. Again, yeah. the arrogance of the English, the Hungarians taught us a lesson. But we don't actually yeah. learn from these lessons because Jimmy, no. Jimmy Hogan was very instrumental as one of the coaches that went out there and taught the Europeans how to play football. And then it come back and bit us on the bum in the 50s. Yeah. Did he, did he go to Ajax? Was he involved with Ajax? Oh, no. Jimmy, was a Jimmy was involved just about everywhere. He wasn't yeah, yeah. involved in Ajax, but he certainly mm. was involved in Dutch football. He was certainly yeah. involved in German football in school at Dresden. In fact, the mm. year that Jimmy died, 1974, was the World Cup final of uh, Germany and, well, West Germany at that time, and, and Holland. And yeah. uh, the, feder the head of the Federation of German Football wrote a letter to um, Jimmy Hogan's son saying that we knew nothing about football until Jimmy showed us how to play. And the Dutch yeah. were very similar because he yeah. went in, you know, in the early 1900s and when he was playing for Bolt Wanderers, they played a Dutch mm -hmm. team. They got absolute, they smashed the Dutch team. And he did promise that one of the days he'd come back and teach the Dutch how to play football. And the first time that uh, Holland beat Germany, Jimmy Hogan was the coach of that, that uh, infamous game. Mm -hmm. And he was mm -hmm. certainly with Hugo Meisel involved in the Austrian uh, football. He was there with the uh, when he was in the First World War, and he was interned, and then he was moved to uh, MTK in Hungary. So Jimmy pretty much taught Europe how to play football. Yeah, I, of course, that 1974 final. I can remember it. That was really the first minute penalty given by was it the Wolverhampton butcher uh, yeah, Jack, Jack Taylor? Taylor? Yeah, Jack Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First World Cup final, no problem, penalty <laughs> against, the, against the home side as well. And um, it was a delayed so, kickoff as well, Roy. Right. It was right. delayed because the corner flags wasn't in position. So right. they delayed the World Cup final because the corner flags wasn't in. You can't start a game <laughs> without your corner flags. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, the, the money problems that you were just mentioning there and highlighted. Of course, it raised a little bit of um, a little bit of um, conflict between Matt and and Harold because Harold was was very parsimonious. He was he was a Methodist anyhow, and uh, he he you know he knew where that money had to be earned and saved and etc. And of course, after the crash, um, you know Matt wanted uh, a, 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 a guiding light. They actually wanted law but they missed out on law they went to city uh, and they actually signed albert quicksaw who cost them forty-five thousand, which was a record fee now uh, with the greatest will in the world albert was probably worth about thirty-five thousand. but uh, the story went that sheffield wednesday uh, added five thousand per player for David Pegg and Mark Jones, who they believe United had pinched from under their noses. Um, one came from Doncaster, one from Barnsley. Um, and, you know, the fee became 45000 and Matt uh, wanted him. 
But Harold said, no, that's far, far too uh, expensive. And, you know, we, we'll, we'll just carry on breeding our own players and we'll just have to wait and, and whatever. But Louis Edwards had then joined the board after the crash. And um, he, he put um, he put money into it then and they signed Quicksall. And then about two or three years after, um, Law became available. Now, Busby, remember, a give Dennis Law is... Scottish debut when he was because Law uh, Busby was manager of Scotland for uh, well he, he was he was made manager of Scotland a month before the Munich air crash um, the official manager and of course he, he he wasn't fit to take them to the World Cup in Sweden that you've mentioned in '58 but the start of the '58 nine season he he took the team for a couple of games and he gave um, Dennis Law his international debut. Uh, and then Matt realised then that his, his health, you know, if it, United had to come first. Um, but but Law, he wanted very much, but the Italians wanted 115,000 for him. And again, Harold said, whoa, hang on a minute, 115,000, you know, we, we, we just got to the semi-final last year, they got well beat by Tottenham. Um, but we've got, you know, Bobby Charlton's here, yeah. Harry Gregg's still here, Billy Folks, and, um, you know, we've got young players are coming through, Nobby, Johnny Giles, uh, you know, we, we, we've got to carry on with this. But again, um, Edwards was the man behind that, in fairness. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, the provided the fee to bring Dennis Law. In my opinion, um, <laughs> tomorrow might change or, or add an addition to this, by the way. But in my opinion, uh, Dennis Law is, is possibly... Very, very possibly the greatest ever signing by Manchester United. Cantona is the other one for the influence that he had mm. um, with the younger players as well, but also his own performance. Um, but, but Law, the signing was a massive catalyst and they won the Cup in 63. And of course, Harold by then was 81, but was in the Royal Box again as the United chairman uh, to see them win. And of course, the year after... Um, Georgie Best suddenly appeared and you know they were, they were blooming and the investment was, was right interestingly in, in doing the research and looking back in the programmes there was another connection with Birmingham because um, Edwards and, and Busby went to Warwickshire Cricket Club because they were one of the first clubs to start like a, a lottery type club. yeah tall thing didn't they yeah yeah, yeah. And there was a guy called Bill Burke was was involved there. I'm not sure if there was there was boxes. Um, I know Salford Racecourse because Salford had its own racecourse until 1963. Right. Um, and they they had um, they had yeah because the um, the November handicap used to be held there every year. And Larry Silman tells a great story about that. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but um, they don't. Salford Racecourse had, had put some hospitality boxes, which you know, for nineteen seventy six, sorry, nineteen sixty three, were unheard of. And 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 Edwards and Busby, they created it, and they got Bill Burt to come from Warwickshire Cricket Club, and he started the lottery uh, at United um, in nineteen sixty four. So again, you know, it was it was the full turn, and and. Um, but, but, you know, Harold, I mean, what a story, that, from Meredith to Beth. I mean, bloody hell, it's, uh, it's just incredible. It's mind-boggling, really. 
Oh, it certainly is, and and you know, a wonderful history and a wonderful person, and and has left an indelible mark on on Manchester United. Yeah. Dennis Law, though, I would I would argue, and I know where you're coming from with uh, Ronaldo coming back. The, yes. the 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 king has come back to Old Trafford, but yes. <laughs> I, I don't know. In modern times, you know, we look at these players and you go Messi and Ronaldo, who's the best? Well, I'm not interested because mm. I think they're both world class. I think they're both great players, yeah. and I think if you're looking at you know players that have gone before then they, they must be up there with the likes of Puskas and Pele and yeah. Georgie Best and, and all the rest of them. But but Dennis Law certainly must. And, and I think with players like Dennis Law, they they don't seem to be as revered as, as, as some of the others. Dennis, is, Dennis has got to be up there with the all-time greats. And to this day, Dennis is, is known as the king of Old Trafford, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I tell you what is really interesting. Um, I'd certainly, if I was a Scotsman, um, I'm tempted anyhow. But if I was a Scotsman, if you look at that Scotland team 67. from around from sixty, yeah, from about sixty-one. I know Jimmy McCallion, um, uh, a great player, played for played for a few clubs, but he made his mark everywhere he went. Yeah. But Jimmy McCallion, um but I mean Jimmy, you know, they look at the Scotland side. The, the, the Achilles heel was a goalkeeper, of course, was always a goalkeeper. But in, in my time, um, they had fullbacks like Eric Calvo, who was a magnificent right back, John Gregg, um, uh, you, you wing half, you had, you had Dave McKay, what a player, Dave, Dave McKay, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Baxter, oh my goodness, now there is a showman. And they always had wings, I mean, uh, Willie Henderson at Rangers. Jinky Johnson, oh, Jimmy Johnson, what a winger. Uh, McNallio, Dennis Law, Gilzine, Ian St. John, mm. Ronnie Yates, Centra, Paddy Creran. Uh, I'm sorry for anyone I've missed out. John White, the ghost, what a player he was, who tragically got killed when he got struck by lightning. Um, but, you know, uh, these magnificent footballers Scotland had. Bobby and Dennis Murdoch as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Lisbon Lions, you know. Yeah, Billy so, yeah. 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 And, and, but Dennis, throughout that, from about 62 to, well, in fact, he played in the 74 World Cup that we spoke about. But from 62, when Dalgleish was on the scene, um, you know, but Dennis was the revered man. He was that good. He was the man and a, a, a magnificent player. I can tell you that anyone who knows the Manchester United history will not have a word. They know that he was and he is their king and uh, an absolutely top, top guy as well, by the way. But um, a, a magnificent footballer. Mikhailov, I'm looking forward to, the, to this book when it comes out. Um, a little story there. Um, I went to the England Scotland game in '67. Um, right, okay. When, yeah, when I went to the '65 game and I went to the '67 game at Wembley, and, and McCallio played in that game for Scotland and had a really good game. Scotland won it three-two, and of course they then said, you know, we are the world champions. Um, if you remember. Um, yeah. Um, about it, but um, yeah, and, and McCallion, of course, came to United, and I think, I think if Tommy Dock had managed to sign him, you know, a month earlier from Wolves, he just might, just might have saved them yeah. from going down, um, because he did transform them. 
Um, the thing is, in, in a bizarre way, and you, 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 you're kicking yourself for even saying this, but in a way, the relegation turned out to be a catalyst for United, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it, it may have been that it brought them back, if you, if you get what I mean, quicker than it would have done if they survived relegation. Yeah. By that, I mean, if they survived relegation, they might have still been clunking around in the 14-15 slot. Whereas going down and then coming straight back with the younger players, they blossomed straight away, didn't they? Oh, absolutely. And going back to Dennis, in 1963, he scored uh, goals in three different games against Gordon Banks at Wembley, didn't he? In the in the final of the FA Cup, he played England versus Scotland, and of course played for the rest of the world. That's how good yeah. Dennis Law was. Played for yeah. the rest of the world, and I do think yeah. that when we do look back, Dennis that, is one scored. of those that does get missed off the list. Yeah. And scored, I think they, they won. Absolutely the scored. Yeah, scored in all three games against yeah. Banksy, yeah. which uh, no other player yeah. has ever done. Wembley wins. Yeah. Wembley woes is uh, the autobiography of Jim McAllister. I had the pleasure of Jim's company. I went and saw Jim. Yeah. He's on, on a book tour at the moment. And I went yeah. down to where, into the black country. A brummy going to the black country. And uh, met, up, met up with him. What a fantastic man. Loved his time at United. And you're right, it yeah. was in that game that, that City uh, beat United. And it was Dennis's yeah. back heel goal that, that gave City a 1-0 win at Old Trafford. Yeah. 87 minutes. The game was never finished. But when they yeah. went off the pitch and into the dressing rooms, Jim says to me, have a guess who was sitting in our dressing room and it was, yeah. and it was Dennis. I know he walked into, he yeah. walked into the dressing room, he just walked in and the mate, he actually, he back heeled the goal, I was there behind yeah. that goal. Yeah, yeah. He back heeled and he just, he just turned around and walked yeah. to the, to the centre circle and walked up the tunnel. Yeah. He, he looked in the days and he, and he went into the United dressing room mm-hmm. and, uh, you're right, as uh, Jimmy would say there, as the United team trooped in, <laughs> it was sat there, but uh, but Dennis Law. Um, he was in tears because you know he, he knew that that goal ultimately yeah. had relegated uh, United, and he absolutely loved United. And then Tommy Doherty walked in there, and Jim said, "Oh my God, it's going to go off here." But yeah. Tom, Tommy was great to Dennis as yeah. well. And uh, Jim said we had a bit of a cuddle, and 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 that was yeah. it. But um, what a lovely man! And, and Dennis has wrote the foreword to uh, Jim's he? book. Yeah, cause he's, no, no, no. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward. Anyway, and who stayed up that season, by the way, Paul? Uh, Birmingham people? City did, mate. We stayed up last game of the season. We beat Norwich two one at St Andrews. <laughs> yeah, I remember. We done a lap of honour, and I remember yeah. saying to me dad, "Why are we doing a lap of honour? We've just stayed up." But that's yeah. as it was at Birmingham. You know, when you look yeah. at the two cities, and you look at the cities in, in this country, obviously you've got London, which is in a, a different stratosphere. Mm. And then you've got Leeds, by by, by numbers, yeah. the population, Leeds is the second, and then, yeah. uh, sorry, Birmingham's the second, Leeds is the third, and then I think yeah. comes Manchester, then Liverpool, and, and, and one or two yeah. others. But yeah. um, you look at some of the fantastic football teams and the fantastic players yeah. that have come through those big sides, and you look at my team and my city, Birmingham, mm. we don't even scratch the surface. When we talk about us being a big club, we really are having a laugh and yeah. trying to kid ourselves. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, from an outside, uh, you, you know, as I say, I've been watching football since 54. Yeah. And uh, obviously Villa, I, I, I've got that um, 
aura because of the the double in the in the century before that, which is now two. Um, but and and then the wolves, of course, that that old gold shirt and uh, and that Billy Wright's team and Collis's team and um, West Brom. Um, even West Brom get, in a way, more kudos than, than Birmingham, don't they? Really, with, with success-wise, and uh, it is it is surprising that uh, is it because it's too many. Or... I just think it's the fact that when you look at football and you look at how fantastic Manchester United's management has been, and I don't mm. mean you know management of players on the pitch. I'm I'm looking at the management of the club. And then when you look at my team, Birmingham City, we are the polar opposite to what you are and what you have been, where you've had brilliant management and the foresight to look forward and and take United to be where they are. Birmingham City have always had... The only thing in our trophy cabinet is a loaded gun, and we've always shot ourselves (laughs) in the foot. That is Birmingham City. We would bugger up anything better than anybody else, and we've just made so many bad decisions. We are where we are, but we are the second biggest city uh, in the country, and and it's quite incredible how we have been so unsuccessful, and you guys in Manchester have always been so very successful. And so yeah. local rival Aston Villa. Yeah. Um, I've, just, I've just, funny enough, I've just done a, a small booklet um, with, with a couple of Preston fans about uh, Alec Dawson, a guy called Alec Dawson, played for United and then uh, went to um, play for Preston successfully, and then he went to Brighton and Brentford. And it, it occurred to me then to mention it to you because um, when he went to Brighton, the manager there was. Um, uh, Freddie Goodwin, um, and, and Freddie Goodwin had played for United, of course, before the air crash, and and then after the crash became he took over your dad's favourite player. He became the number four because he was Eddie Coleman's understudy. Yeah. Um, but he was a good cricketer, was Freddie Goodwin, he, and he was also Brian Statham's understudy at Lancashire. Um, but he was quite a successful manager. Was uh, was uh, Fred Goodwin, and, and uh, I think he he did very well in uh, America. Um, I think there's a fantastic story about Freddie in A Time of My Life, which is a wonderful book uh, that you've also uh, written. I didn't realise that you were good mates with Frank Hayes, the cricketer as well. And another book that you wrote, The Salford Lad, Snake Hips. And and you're right, he was my dad's favourite player. But Freddie, again, a Busby babe, and also played for Lancashire at at cricket. And the lovely thing about your, your book is... It's a love of football and cricket as well. And and it just takes you through a journey of those times in Manchester through through the eyes of you growing up loving for both football and and cricket. Yeah, I've only done I mean, I've literally done I, my idea on that was um well it still had still had my memory from nineteen fifty four to nineteen sixty six, um seven to nineteen. You know, out growing up, and of course now Barbara, my wife, and myself are lucky. We've got two lovely sons. Who uh, themselves, we've got three lovely grandchildren, and we've got four great grandchildren who uh, are fantastic to be around. And um, I thought I'll write this, and I, I've only done forty copies of it, and I'm not. It, there's no price on it. I've not published it, but I, I sent you a copy. I, I give it to my family and um, you know some close friends um, as I, as I see them. And I, I, you know, I, I just wonder whether to, but 
at times, seriously, you think, oh, no, finger in the mouth, it's just whatever. But, uh, you know, I'm still half tempted to put it on the market and, uh, and see. But at the minute, I'm not I'm not doing. But because um, we've got this 70s book, um, which I, I promised I would tell you about. The good news is, all I would say on this, and I know others have done bigger and whatever, but there's 420 pages in this. Yeah. And there's 100 glossy coloured pictures. But there's a lot of statistics in it as well. And, um, you know, it, it is every single United game in the 70s that's got a minimum of 100 word um, match report. Then it, all the reserve games are flagged up with the team, uh, the youth team. Every player's got a bio and a coloured picture of them. And then you've got their stats, you know, career, the full career stats. And, and the checking is like, oh, my goodness, it's mind-blowing. Um, little things like um, like the spelling of Hillsborough. Wow. And, you, you know, I guess Middlesbrough, which to a northern lad like me sounds the same as Hillsborough, yeah. Middlesbrough is B-R-O-U-G-H. Yeah. But Hillsborough is B O O O U G H. You know, and I, I, oh, the number of times I spotted it and then we had to alter that, you know, and everything. But finally, the, the button's been pushed on it now and it, and it is at the printers, I'm, I'm assured. And, and I'd be amazed if, where are we now? I'd be amazed that by the end of September, it's not, um, it's not there. Um, and it's the Manchester United. Um, book of the 70s uh, which uh, again Carl I'll, I'll come to Carl on that because I know I know we're going to come on hopefully uh, your kind offer um, Dave Lane the publisher you know Dave I think that you met Dave you? I've spoken to Dave yeah I've yeah. spoken to him yeah, yeah he's a good lad yeah. and um, Carl and myself will be delighted to come on when it actually is available and people can go and buy it then as opposed to saying like now oh it's coming out in a fortnight's time and whatever we might as well wait till uh, till it's done so as soon as i get my hands on my copy i will be giving you a ring is that okay that's that's absolutely fantastic yeah uh, anyone by the way wants the Harold hardman book it is on that is on amazon um and you know if you just put roy cabana um, on Amazon, it'll, it'll list up the various books, and, and the Harold Ardman book is on there, and uh, you've got a copy yourself. And uh, I think it's it's one for someone who's fancies looking at the history from 1900 to 1965 of football life, and uh, trying to imagine what it was like. So the, the thing is, I I love football. Um, it, that may come across, <laughs> and I I also love the football history. And and I might be a Birmingham City supporter, and my team uh, will be kicking off shortly. Troy, I don't know what right. he's putting a jacket on for. It looks as though he's on bloody subs bench. I don't know yeah. what's going on there, but he's bound to come off the bench here and score the winner, yeah. Troy. Yeah. But well, you know, he might be. Not, he might be the he might be the Dennis. He might be the catalyst. You know, he, he's just that that. I know what you say, and and it's gone on a long, long time. But hey. Um, you know, it it just needs that break. It needs that look. Everyone needs look in life, anyhow. And you know that catalyst. And who knows? As long as when it does start to succeed, that they do build on it and not throw it away. I tell you what, when you're talking about building, we need to build our ground because it's in a state of disrepair and there's yeah. only half of it open. 
which is yeah. it, which is quite embarrassing. But I love mm. to talk about all football clubs. I love to read about all football clubs and different football fans and their journey and their passion. And I've been accused mm. many times of being an Aston Villa supporter because I have <laughs> such a respect for Aston Villa. And mm. what come across in your A Time of My Life book is your respect for Manchester City as well. And I didn't yeah. realise how good Manchester City were in the 50s. You know, I've listened yeah. to Birmingham City supporters saying, we were a good team in the 50s, we should have won more. Mm. And I'm thinking, mm. well, hang on a bit, you had Manchester City that were a damn good team. You had Newcastle mm. United that were a damn yeah. good team. You had yeah. Wolverhampton Wanderers that were a bloody good football team. And you had West Bromwich Albion. And you had a yeah. number of other teams, including Preston with a... You know, Tom Finney, the president of Plummer, and Blackpool yeah. as well. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of other good teams as well yeah. in Birmingham City in the 50s. I mean, but I was amazed yeah. how good City were. Yeah, well, and, and uh, you know, again, in, again, younger people will not get what I'm going to say now, but I'm going to say it. Mm. I mean, in those days, because you had no Sky TV, yeah. and you had, you had no talk sport, so on a Saturday... You either watched your first team or your reserves. Yep. Or where I lived, I could just go over that same bridge and instead of turning right for Old Trafford, I could get the number 53 bus, which in 15 minutes would have me at Main Road. Yep. And, you know, if you wanted to watch First Division football, you know, I could I could do that. Um, but, you know, and people did used to go watch one team and, and then the other until probably... Um, probably the late sixties, really, when uh, yeah. you know when when things came about. But yeah, I mean, and, and the cup finals, like you mentioned, there seventy two. I mean, my first final was fifty four, which was West Brom and Preston. Yeah. And uh, but you know, fifty five was City against Tottenham. Uh, sorry, against uh, Newcastle. Yeah. Fifty six was City and Birmingham. Yeah. And, and then United and Villa and United and Ball. So. You know, the, the cup final and City were a good cup side and um, and, and United was, was was still my, my side as well. Um, but I hope Birmingham succeed for you, mate. And and thank you for, for this invite again tonight. It's a real pleasure to be alongside you and uh, hopefully this 70s book will appear in the next two or three weeks. And, and, and let me just finish, if you don't mind, with Carl Abbott. Carl and I met work-wise because um, you know, I was involved with a major construction company and Carl became a professor at Salford University. And we, 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 we love helping younger people succeed in life. And um, he, he, he's been that, um, I don't know, he's been that link. So I, I don't mind, I like, love writing the book, but turning, the, turning my writing into a book, Carl's got that ex- expertise of turning the words into the pages and, and inserting the um, pictures and making sure the page numbers are correct, making sure little things like at the top of the page that the, that the titles are right, and making sure the chapters are, are right. And if you put chapter four is on page 22, it is on page 22. Uh, you know, acknowledgements, dedication, and turning it into a book. And um, we got together about, five years ago and and since then we, we've done um, the Harold Hardman book um, Johnny Carey um, United in the 60s um, and you know we, we've got together on this uh, in, in the 70s 
Um, so, you know, he, he's a vital part of it. And hopefully he, he will join me and David if you if you wish to uh, extend the invite again when this other one comes out. But it's always lovely to speak to you, Paul, and uh, great work you do and great guests that you have on. Well, I'm just I, I purposely didn't particularly want to go down the 70s route today with you for one reason. Yeah. I can get you back and we can talk at length about Manchester United in the <laughs> 70s because there were some fantastic stories, some fantastic players. And your book of the 50s, A Time of My Life, I would, I would definitely think about publishing that because... I've started reading it. I, I get so many books and I read the books and then I do the podcast. So I read lots of half books, a little bit like films. I watch a film and I half watch a film because I fall to sleep. And, and I watch certain games of football and I'll probably watch Birmingham's and fall to sleep yeah. watching my team Birmingham tonight because there's only a certain amount of hours that my eyes physically stay awake. And yeah. I just love doing the podcast and talking to people. And I prefer to talk to them about their love um, mm. the, the, the me reading something, although I do like to read it because you get a good um, mm. idea of, of what's going on and how, how the writer's written it and, and, and getting the juices of what the book is about. But for me, my podcasts are all about the people that I engage with and they tell me what they're doing. And, and that's mm. the beautiful thing about the podcast and why I love them so much. So, yeah. Tom and My Life yeah. is a fantastic book, and I would get it published because, you know, I just think it's fantastic. Other books that you have published that you have referenced, how can fans, and not just Manchester United fans, but general, generic football fans, how can they uh, buy these books? Are they all still out there, or are, are some sold no, out? Quite a lot are out there. Um, some have been sold out. You know, the ones that are privately published, for example, you know, yeah. you might do 200, 400 reprint, do another 200, 400. But uh, quite a lot of them are actually on on, um, on Amazon. So, you know, if, if you just put Roy Cavana, C-A-V-A-N-A-G-H, you know, we're not spelling it okay, but it's Roy Cavana. Just put Roy Cavana books on Amazon. Uh, it will give you the latest list. Um, a, a really sad scenario because, um, of course, we get into um, the the um, disaster in uh, the tragedies in New York, and I can remember vividly where I was um, uh, on the 11th of, the, of September um, when when that terrible thing happened with the with the twin towers. I'd, I'd done a book um, on Dennis Filer. Um, and actually, English time two o'clock, uh, and this was a this was a very successful book. If I say so myself, it, it came number two in the Times bestsellers, behind uh, a book uh, called Sea Biscuit about the famous horse. Yeah, I've talked to Alan Hudson about Sea Biscuit. Yeah. What a which, horse that was! Yeah. We did a podcast about Sea Biscuit. Yeah, which they turned into a film, of course. Yeah, and, yeah. But, but Violet was number two, and and. The day it was published, I'd gone to get some pre-published copies, and I came out of the publishers, and I got—I can remember it now—I got in my car, English time, about two o'clock, yeah. and the news bulletin was reporting because I think New York was nine o'clock. Um, you know, um, we were five hours difference, and 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 the disaster of that day was unfolding. Um, so you know, Paul, great to be. Alongside you, I'm honoured to be to be asked to be on, and uh, it's always a pleasure. I must come and see you when uh, 
when I'm in the Birmingham area. Although oh, the bloody one-way systems in Birmingham, <laughs> I think I might stop at Dudley and uh, we'll, we'll meet up somewhere. <laughs> oh, the Dudley or Elves, though, we need, the, the ring roads aren't as bad. We can negotiate oh. around there. Or right, yeah. you might even come up to see a game with you at Old Trafford. No, well, yeah. Uh, hey, tickets have gone. Tickets have gone through the roof, of course. Yeah, I bet. Oh, I mean, I've heard some unbelievable. I mean, I was told a story today. I'm not going to name names on the phone. A guy today yeah. who has three season tickets at United, yeah. he was offered by a tout the other day, 200 quid a ticket, mm. by a tout. And, and you know, he's got a, a young kid and he sold all three tickets, yeah. 600 quid. I mean, I, I, call it all you want, but I mean... You know, you've got to be in that position, haven't you? You've got a, a wife and you've got yeah. a young child and someone offering you 600 quid for three tickets for a game against Newcastle United without being disrespectful. Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break records, I think, tomorrow with prices. I mean, do you see today the, the shirts, £187 million in shirts Incredible, already. And Jack Grealish, of course, he's... Second in shirt sales as well across yeah. the city. Hey, so Manchester is the epicenter, isn't it? Again, I thought he played well on Wednesday. Really, I thought he was the he was an instigator on Wednesday for England. Well, I mean, I've been saying for years. I think Jack Grealish is the finest English uh, player that that we have. Yeah. I've took so yeah. much stick. Um, I've uh, got a lot less followers and friends on Facebook and Twitter oh. these days, and I've had to block. Hundreds of Birmingham City fans. Yeah. I've never received a death threat, but it's been quite close for my love of Jack. Told, really, I was told he was a United fan when he was young. I um, believe he he did like United. Um, his yeah. dad's a Mad Villa supporter, but yeah. but again, when you watch the games on the TV and you watch the yeah. Premier League, you look at teams and you might not necessarily support them, but you no. but you enjoy no. watching them, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, if you a winger and you see someone like Giggs in his pump, you know, you think, I want to be like Ryan Giggs or, or whatever. Or, or Trevor Francis, of course, in his time. <laughs> well, absolutely. You know, and, and Jack isn't a winger. He's a he's a midfield player, but they keep playing him out on that left-hand side. Mm. And I just wish that they'd play him more centrally. And I'm hoping that Pep will, because you get Jack on the ball in that final third, running at defenders in a more central position. And I think that's where he hurts teams more. But, you know, what do I know? I'm a Birmingham City fan. I think that's an interesting question to ask the, the experts. I mean, for example, both United and England play with two defensive midfielders. Yeah, I never would. And, and you think, well, hang on, England, you've got the choice of everybody. Manchester United has got a, a very fair choice, to say the least. Yeah. Why do you think? Well, we're going to win four three. I, I, I just don't. I don't get it. I mean, if you unleash, for example, and this is top of my head, but you've got Greenwood, you've got Cavani, you've got Ronaldo, you've got Fernandez to start with. You've got Pogba going forward. Yeah. Okay. And, and you've not got Duffers at the back. I mean, Maguire. You've got Shaw. You've got a goalkeeper, De Gea. Um, you know, Linderhoff is, is is a good player in his own right. You've now got Varane from from. Well, that is, if someone can score three goals against them, you know, why not you pushing them back and score four against them? And the same with England. You know, you, you look at it and you think we've got you've got enough players there to. 
to have a decent back four and a goalkeeper and perhaps one defensive midfielder, probably Rice, but, you know, go on the front foot and unleash these uh, attacking inside, what you and I would call the old-fashioned inside forwards and, and, and have two wingers and leave Kane at centre-forward. I, I, you know, you think... Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. But we're not managers, are we? <laughs> I wish we were, because if I was a manager, I'd be playing last man back. I'd be playing rush goalkeeper. I would be playing on the front foot with all them forward players. I'd be putting them on there. And I wouldn't be worried about losing the ball. When we lose the ball, we win the ball back. But yep. what we're doing, we're playing football and we're going to try and score more goals right. than you. That little fella that we've got on loan uh, from United. Oh, yeah, Chong. Yeah, yeah. He, he just got a bit yeah. of a whacking. But he looks a decent player, and uh, yeah. I've heard so many yeah. great reports uh, of him, and another future uh, Manchester United superstar in the mm-hmm. making. There, mm-hmm. and, of course, of course, the, the, one of the top ones, and uh, he, he, you know, he, he, his life, his lifestyle got waylaid. Uh, but is this Morrison who's at Derby? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when he, when he was in the youth team, that had Pogba and Lingard in it. Yeah, they were they were bit players. Yeah, to this guy. Bit players, and uh, you know, bloody hell, it's uh, just shows you that that's where the word luck comes into it, Paul. It does, but I do think you make your own luck, and I do think that if you play on the front foot, that you're gonna, you know, get more chances and get more chances, you're gonna score more goals. But guys, can I also just, uh, if you want to get hold of of Roy on Twitter, it's at Roy MBE and Roy Cavana on Facebook. So, sir, can I thank you so much? We will reconvene in a a few weeks' time to talk about your 1970s book on the greatest club side in the world, Manchester United. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much. Love to speak here again. Take care. Cheers, pal. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. Ciao, Arby. Bye-bye.